This is the word of the Lord. I'll be reading today from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Like we said at the beginning and Jeff mentioned in the communion thought, it is a happy new year and it is good for you to be with us. Uh, You know, I I love the the memes that come around this time of year with the new year, new you. So go to the gym. You know, let's let's get uh, this is the busiest time uh, for gyms to they're suddenly full because everybody's got that new year resolution that I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to get fit or I'm going to finally Uh, get ready for summer, whatever it is. I haven't been in my gym for like 10 months out of kind of fear of getting sick. And I got to be honest with you, it kind of shows. You see this? It's not working for me. And so I'm looking forward to this new year. I'm looking forward to the new things that are going to come and the goodness that God has in store for us in 2021. The new year is a big deal, but I need to be honest with you. The new year cannot save you. Going to the gym may make your health better and you might lose a few pounds. Finally committing to spend more time doing that hobby that you love or getting something in order in your life or paying down your debt. Those are all good things for you to engage in. But none of those things can save you. And so I want to invite you, and then we're going to start a new series next Sunday and we're calling it kind of a big deal. And what we're talking about is, is, is God's purpose and God's mission, God's plan for this world, and how you get to be a part. Because my God is kind of a big deal. And i got to be honest with you, my church, Highland, is kind of a big deal when we see it in light of what God is doing in this universe. And God's plan for you in this year and in this world is kind of a big deal. Because God has ways that he has in store to change the people around you. To bring his light and his love to those that have not heard about him yet. And the vehicle that he is going to choose is you. And so I want to invite you to to hang around. Whether we're meeting live very soon or whether we're still online, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, Come come in and, and check in on these sermons and find out what's kind of a big deal for you in 2021. 
the text read today was out of Revelation chapter 21, and, and I know that Revelation has a lot of mysteriousness to it and mystique because it's an apocalyptic work. And so before we jump into to this text in particular, I want to kind of explain how Revelation works. Revelation is, is an apocalypse, which just basically means that, that, that the author is going to reveal what's hidden. You can imagine a curtain uh, before you, and you see things happening on front of a curtain, like at a stage in a theater. But behind the curtain, there are other things that you know that are happening. Sets are changing. People are changing costumes. There's somebody in the back with a headset that's calling every cue for the lighting and the sound and every entrance and every exit. And, and what, what an apocalypse wants to do is, is pull back the curtain so you can see not just the drama that's unfolding before you, but the hidden figures that are working behind the scenes to change it. Because what it looks like in front of the curtain for those, those first readers of, of John's apocalypse. Now, by the way, there's apocalypse all over the New Testament, all over the Bible. The, the Gospel of Mark is full of apocalyptic language. What it looks like in front of the stage is that the powers of evil are persecuting Christians and they're being tortured and they're being imprisoned and they're even being killed for their faith. And churches, these tiny churches that are, are existing in, 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 in uh, Asia Minor are struggling to survive and seeing their hope and being faithful in this hard thing. But what John wants to say is pull back the curtain and see. Let's see the spiritual forces that are at war going on right now for your soul. Let's see what's really behind the persecution and the torture and the, and the bad things that you're experiencing. But more importantly than all the bad things that are happening in the world, what John wants us to see behind the curtain is God. God who in his power and his sovereignty is making everything right. There's this particular scene in, in the book of Re Revelation. It's called the, the Battle of Medigo. And, and if you were to contemporize that battle. You could imagine every army from every nation in the world has gathered together on a valley floor to fight. You could see the armies of China and Russia and India and America and Iran and Iraq. Every, every uh, military in the world is there and they have brought every weapon with them. They brought every gun. They brought every tank. They brought every plane. They brought every satellite. They brought every nuclear missile. Nuclear I always forget that. Um, anyway, they brought every weapon that they have, and they are ready to fight. And in just one moment, in just one second, God shows up on that battlefield, and it's over. There is no fight. There is no battle. There is no setup for this greatest battle that will ever occur in all of history, uh, something that... that uh, a movie producer would love to get their hands on to show the struggle that's going to happen, but there is no struggle because God shows up and the battle's over and the victory is won. And in Revelation chapter 21, what we see and what we hear is the aftermath of that battle. That in those small churches, after all the enduring and the finality of the universe is really the advent of glory. That the moment that looks like the end of everything and the reality that we've known forever, that moment that feels like the end and it is abrupt and it is chaotic, it is really just the beginning of God's ultimate plan. That's God's promise of heaven, that God wins and it, it isn't really a fight, that God is fully revealed and all everything is set right. 
Now, two weeks ago, I did something that's usually like kind of a mistake when I preach. Nine times out of ten, it's always a mistake. It's I added something to a sermon that I had planned and thought for and been prayerfully listening to the Spirit about. I added it on the platform. And nine times out of ten, that's a mistake. I should never do it. But sometimes it happens. Two weeks ago, we were in the story of the massacre of the infants in Matthew chapter 2. It's when the sons of Bethlehem are murdered by a tyrant determined to hold power. And I said... There were many of those boys that died that had not yet spoken a word. But I know what their first word was. It was hallelujah. It was glory. And and maybe that's just because I have a a baby that hasn't spoken its first word yet and that, that connection was really strong to me. I don't know what it was about that moment, but it was true. And I think we've lived our lives, most of us have lived our lives experiencing that kind of loss. Something that could have been amazing and beautiful. It was a gift from God and it was cut short prematurely and there's nothing but sorrow there. But the hope of that moment is when that baby opens its eyes. When that baby takes its first breath in a new world. The first word it will utter is not mama or daddy. Hallelujah. And that's not to use the poetry of Larry Cohen, the kind of broken hallelujahs that that we all come up with, even that we've uttered today in our worship. You know, I think Cohen is talking there about King David and how what a glorious king King David was, but also because Scripture is honest, Scripture is ultimately honest about everything that Scripture does. It's, It's a broken hallelujah that God's, David's song to God's were ultimately mired by David's own sin. And we all live in that, that world. We all live in that era where the best hallelujah we can utter is, is tainted by something else. Tainted by our own selfishness or tainted by our own greed or tainted by our own uh, insecurity. But there will come a moment and there will come a day when the first word that you utter is hallelujah. And it will be the first word that you ever say that is pure. It'll be the first word that you ever say that's pure because you you have entered heaven. Heaven is intimately close and it's already here. And this is some of the work that that Tom Wright and others have been doing. And and maybe you've heard of this. They've talked about the new heavens and the new earth and and where they get that idea has some of its roots in the chapter, the verse we just heard in Revelation chapter 21. One of my friends called what Tom Wright and the others are doing is a Copernican shift in the understanding of the New Testament. You remember that Copernicus was uh, the one that said that, you know what, the earth isn't the center of the universe, or at least the solar system, it's the sun. That the earth just kind of revolves around something else. Every, every astronomer, well, some of them, the popular opinion was uh, that, that the earth was the center of the universe, but that wasn't the reality that he saw when he looked to the heavens. And so that shift of saying that the center of the universe used to be, or the solar system used to be the earth, but now we clearly see that it's the sun, was a pretty massive shift. That same thing is happening in kind of New Testament scholarship and and theology right now, that we're understanding that the way that we think about heaven is fundamentally being changed. That heaven isn't just some goal in the future that we're going to get to one day when we die, but rather instead heaven is something that God is doing now. 
God is unfolding it throughout his kingdom in a million different ways. And what heaven's going to look like isn't going to be some sort of celestial experience of disembodied spirits floating in some sort of union with God, but rather a new earth, a place that has been restored, a place that has been redeemed. And I understand, I get it, why you might want to cling to that kind of, look, this place is a mess, but when I die, I'm going to heaven, and it's all going to be made right. I understand why you might want to hang on to those ideas, because I think there's been times in history, and there's been times in our own lives, where the best we can manage is the hope that one day God is going to make all this right, and so we just have to wait until we die. Just hold on in faith. I understand that impulse, and I understand in times in history where that has happened. That happened in our own history in America, in, in the Restoration Movement. Uh, all those Stamp Baxter songs that were written in the 1920s and the 1930s that spoke of the hope of heaven, and they were, they were cheering songs. It's because people were living in depressive and depressing times, depression times. And so the best hope that they had was heaven. It's like R.E. Winslet, who wrote, Jesus is coming soon. And now for most of us that hear this song now, it, it strikes us in a terrible way because the chorus goes something like this. And you can feel the Tennessee hills that he grew up in, Winslet grew up in, when he wrote it. Because it goes like, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet, oh, I messed it up. Many will meet their doom, trumpets will sound. And then you just kind of want to scratch the record. Like, what's the deal with that? Many will meet their doom? How could you possibly say that line in such a cheery way? Well, Ari Winslet grew up in one of the poorest counties in Tennessee. And he wrote thousands of songs of hope and joy. He, he was very prolific in his songwriting career because he was looking for something else out of the misery that he saw in his community. His wife died, and then in the late 1930s, and then he wrote this song in 1942 in the midst of the seemingly overpowering victory of the Axis. It looked like evil was going to conquer the world. And Winslet had in his own experience and in his experience of the world a desire to see Jesus come back and make things right. And he was justified in hoping that that's exactly what God would do. But it is an insufficient gospel to believe that the security of heaven is our only ultimate end. That is just the front door of the mansion that God has prepared for us. And if we live our lives standing at the front door of heaven, never realizing what God could do with our lives and our purpose and the meaning of everything that we have left between now and that point of death, then we have missed the opportunity to experience God's glory. Heaven is intimately close and already here. Heaven is you, redeemed. Purged of all evil inclinations, completely secure, completely known. There are two things in my life that I have done that I deeply wish to atone for. I'm not going to tell you what they are today. But there are two things that I deeply wish that I could go back and change. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've, I've committed a lot of errors. But there are two things 
which I really wish that I could change. One was an, an act of cowardice where I didn't use the power at hand to fight for someone else. The other was my own overreach of power where I deeply hurt somewhere else. And if, I think if any of us reflect back, if we had those conversations, sometimes those conversations can only happen at a campfire when you're away from everything around you where it's quiet and all you hear is the crackling of the wood and you're able to speak about those kind of things. It's the kind of conversation that you can only have with the person that you trust the most and deeply. But there are things that we wish we could atone for. And those actions and those behaviors point to the fact that there is part of us that still desperately needs to be redeemed by God's grace. And I think that's a piece of what heaven is. Heaven is you redeemed. It takes account for all the things that you are, and God created you just as you are. God loves you just as you are, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he does right now. But the reality is that there is a part of you that still needs to be formed and shaped by the image of God. And heaven is the expression that we grow into as we find ourselves redeemed. Heaven is earth restored. Like in those old Stamp Baxter songs, it's justice and evil that is accounted for. It says in our text that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. God will stand beside those victims of evil and sin and comfort them. God understands what it's like to hurt and lose, and God will be there with them. And heaven must account or must include a moment where wrongs are made right. Heaven isn't meaningful if heaven doesn't include an accounting for all the wrongs that happen. The wrongs that happen to you as a victim and the wrongs that happen to you as the perpetrator. That heaven is going to restore the earth. To create places where justice can exist. Heaven is death, death defanged. The song says that there is no more death, mourning, sorrow, or pain. That the reality of heaven is going to be a place where our lives are no longer bound by the time of how much we have left, that ticking of a clock. One thing that the new year does for us is remind us that we're going to be one year older, which means we're one year closer to the end. And that may be more real to you the older you get. It's getting more real to me now. But there's only so much time that we have left with our kids or with our grandkids or with your parents, or your grandparents. But the reality of heaven is that there will be no end. There will be no reason to ever stop celebrating the beauty and the glory of God. And last, in heaven is God fully known. There was this uh, TV show that came out a few years ago, and it's, it's run its course now, and I'm going to do my best not to include any spoilers, but I'm going to reference it. It's called The Good Place. And the first season of The Good Place, if you've never seen it, is amazingly theologically profound. It's wrong at times, but it's amazingly theologically uh, profound. And, and as you watch the series, it's this really clever way to talk about the nature of the good place, that is, is heaven. And there's so much to love about this show 
And the last season of this show is, is beautiful in the way that they portray the characters. Now, I'm not going to get into a spoiler here, but I have to tell you, the last season of the show is the most theologically inaccurate part of the show. That God fully known will never satisfy you. And what I mean by that is not that God is not fully satisfying to us. The experience and knowledge of God will be completely satisfying to us. It's that that is a well that when you dive in, you will never touch the bottom. That is an ocean that when you begin swimming into it, you will never reach the far shore. For thousands and millions and billions of years, if time exists in any shape or form, you will never grow tired of experiencing being known and fully knowing God. The chapter after this is Revelation chapter 22, and it's, it's the scene where heaven and earth collide with one another. This new Jerusalem comes down. It's the bride of Christ being fully engaged and known by God. Our first word in heaven will be Alleluia. It's this Hebrew word that most of the time we don't bother to translate. It just simply means praise God. It means glory to God. It means what God has said is God is going to do. God will finish because God is reliable. And in Revelation chapter 19, two chapters earlier, there is this song that the saints sing together. And I want us to join in that chorus this morning. That we praise God for his judgments because they are just and true. We praise God, you all his servants, both the great and the small. We praise God for the lamb and what he has done. We praise God for the mercy revealed at the cross. We praise God for the victory of Jesus Christ, our king. So this is our confidence that God that will bring the end to this story and victory is working now to redeem our lives and our world, our city and our church. And so this week, join in the work that God is doing in this world. Have the courage to do what is right. Have the wisdom to know when not to act. And may you be filled with the power of his spirit. May it dwell in your inmost being. Go with his spirit and go with